Hello and welcome to the Victorious Living Christian Counseling Podcast. Victorious Living is not only a dream, but a real possibility through Jesus Christ. My name is Crystal Ridlin. I am a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Indiana and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Missouri. Today's topic is number seven, and the discussion for today is going to be on shame. The reason I chose this topic is because my, my husband and my kids and I spent the weekend in a bigger city, and while we were there, there was a man on the public transportation bus that we were on, and he had his head bowed down low. He wouldn't look anybody in the eye. He was writhed in shame. And this just broke my heart. I just felt there wasn't much I could do to help this person, but my heart went out for him, to him, and it really made me think about how shame is a real problem. And I would argue to say probably one of the greatest problems that we have in our world. Shame is universal. Every human being has to deal with a certain level of shame. There is a spectrum of shame. One thing you will find is that although everyone battles with shame to some degree, there are certain life situations that increase shame. And these situations are situations like trauma, um, emotional abuse, domestic violence, growing up in a home where you have a certain level of neglect, whether it be emotional, physical neglect, emotional neglect. There are lots of things that add shame to each person. So I wanted to, going back to the guy at the bus, there was a part of me that just wanted to walk over and gently stand in front of him and ask him to look me in the eyes and to say there is hope. Let me tell you about my friend Jesus. Sadly, I didn't do that. Um, I will admit that it was probably fear of lots of things that kept me stabilized, but um, one thing that I have done since running into this man who I never even saw his eyes, but I do know this, he is God's son, he's God's child, and God loves him the same amount as he loves me and you. And so I have been praying for this man who I don't know who he was and I don't know his name, but knowing that the level of, of observable shame that he was living under was um, pretty hefty. It was pretty heavy. Um, so it reminded me of when I began as an intern after completing all my coursework for my degree. It reminded me of 
the early days of my career and I ended up at a pretty large community community health center and also at a youth shelter where I was working um, probably 25 to 30 hours at both places and um, one thing I noticed right away was that the people that were in my addictions groups at the community health center many of them were the very same people that I passed on the street um, the people that maybe ask me for a handout, ask for money, or are known to be perhaps um, some of the most severe drug addicts in our city. And this was astonishing to me how God used this situation to change my heart and to help me to see his children the way he sees them. Or at least to, yeah, to help me to see, I know that um, I will always have struggle with my sin nature, um, but it did give me a little bit more of a clear picture of what's, what God sees. One of the things I noticed that stood out to me is after getting to know these, the people that were in my groups or that I saw individually, I began to see, somehow I can't even explain how it happened, but I've heard other counselors share this with me too, that they're familiar with it, is when you look into the eyes of a very broken soul, what you see is a child. You begin to imagine them as little children. And that's a very interesting um, concept that many of us we just see an adult. We don't necessarily see the inner child who's very broken. This is something that's very important when you're working with adolescents um, because they're just trying to find out who they are and especially if they've been through a really difficult upbringing, you're gonna find that this is something that we're, any good counselor is going to um, recognize that there's an inner child that's been very battered and that inner child can have can be any age from an actual child to an old person well in their years so anyway that's why I decided to do shame to talk about shame today because shame is something that the moment clients walk into my office or the moment that they contact me, I begin a process of trying to normalize shame. I'm not saying I never normalize sin and I, when God gives me guidance and leadership, I will speak the truths of scripture to begin um, helping people to see that there is a way that we're called to live but I do this through love and never shame I'm I can't say I never do it but I try really hard to keep shame as far away from my office and from my house as possible um, it reminds me of a time that I had a particular child who brought home a really bad grade and this child knows that 
the other children in the house always bring home A's and maybe a B. And so this particular child came home one time with some really low grades and my husband and I weren't real sure how to handle it because we've always had our kids bringing home good grades and so um, as I was talking to him I began communicating with him in the way that most parents would. Um, what is this? What, what caused this? Were you not paying attention? But immediately God began to um, well, I, I noticed that what was happening is I was placing shame on him and that caught me in my tracks and it was the Holy Spirit who, who pointed that out to me. And then I began to pray and ask God to show me how best to help my child in a way that's going to help him to want to do better, but not, um, continue to encourage this behavior of bringing home poor grades. So at that point, I just looked at him and I said, how does it make you feel when you bring home a report card that looks like this? And immediately his, he went from being very defensive and angry back at me to looking into my eyes kind of getting silent for a moment and then I gently said my guess is that you're not feeling so good about yourself right now is that true and then he actually teared up and began to tell me um, that he was sad and it made him to him, him feel really sad when he brought home poor grades so that's a way I try really hard to work with my kids, with my clients, is to rather than placing shame on them, I want to bring the shame out of them. Because in that situation, I didn't have to put any shame on this child. He already knew that bringing him a report card like that was not good, that it was bad. Um, but one thing that it did is it began to help him to realize that I, I don't like bringing home bad grades. This is no fun for me. And anyway, so that's just an example of shame and the way that I have been able to, um, or that God has been working with me on understanding shame. So there's actually a book that I've been reading called Overcoming Shame by Mark Baker. And in this book, there is a part where, hold on, I lost my place. Pardon me. Um, where he talks about, it says here, shame is an emotion. The evidence to support the idea that it, that it is inherited is pretty weak, but it does start very early. Researchers have measured relationship-seeking behavior in three-day-old infants, and if that relationship-seeking behavior is thwarted, infants respond negatively. 
Many researchers believe that early negative reaction is a primitive form of shame. Infants can't feel bad about what they have done because that requires a higher form of cognitive development. In other words, guilt comes online later than shame. But infants can have a global sense of feeling bad about themselves. They don't remember it as an event that is stored in the left hemisphere of the brain, the rational part of the brain, because the capacity for this level of thinking isn't developed yet. But we now know that they can remember it implicitly as a feeling that has not yet been put into words. Infants ha can have a global sense that they lack the efficacy or agency to connect to the caregivers they were designed by God to seek out from birth. This painful feeling is the prototype of what we later come to identify more clearly as shame. If my life depends on connecting with you and you don't respond in the way I need, I am very likely to get the feeling that I am just not worth your connection. This leads me to the feeling that something must be wrong with me. And I am now looking for somewhere to hide. That's shame. Um, that's a great paragraph in this book because one thing that I've noticed is when clients first come to me, oftentimes they are more likely to be looking down. It takes them because there's a lot of fear when they come to see a counselor because they don't know what to expect if I'm going to add shame to them. Um, they don't know. And so it takes a little bit of time for them to realize that I'm not here to make you feel judged or to make you feel shame. I'm here to help you heal. And I'm going to help you heal by loving you with Jesus' love. And hopefully the goal is to point them to Jesus, to seek out Jesus's healing for themselves. So that in a nutshell is a little bit about shame. And when you're thinking about that idea of an infant, when they come into the world and they begin immediately trying to connect with the people that are in their life. Okay. And if they sense the parent is like bothered by them, if they sense that the parent is irritated with them, if they sense that they're left alone and they're crying a lot, a lot, a lot, um, then they're going to walk away with a feeling of shame, but they're not even going to have the cognitive, cognitive ability at that point to make any sense of it. And therefore what happens is the shame then is stored in the body and it becomes a body memory. And of course, this is a wide spectrum um, of how this impacts different people and at different times. There's actually a powerful post that I've seen several times on Facebook over the last few years, and it shows a drawing of a child's head and an adult on the outside screaming at them. And it shows their, the adult is putting all this stuff into their head. Unworthy, unloved, um, all these different negative thoughts. That it's a powerful image. And at the bottom it says that 
when an adult emotionally abuses or yells at a child, the child doesn't stop loving the adult. They actually stop loving themselves. And that is very true. Okay. So when we're thinking about shame, I want to lead you to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is a verse that I use often, at least a couple times a day in my office probably. Um, And my clients get used to me bringing them to this verse more than once. Sometimes (laughs) there's some passages that are kind of like a go-to that I bring my clients um, to this passage um, maybe every week sometimes. But this is one that I use often. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8, starting with verse 8. If, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. This is a powerful verse. And um, it's, well, there's, it's powerful verses. It's a powerful chapter. And it's really getting to the heart of this issue of shame. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Worldly sorrow brings death. So immediately, when I have any client that's struggling with depression, anxiety, trauma, trauma brings a lot of shame onto people, it is very common for me to lead them to this verse, and we begin to discuss what is, what is godly sorrow, what is worldly sorrow, and this is when I begin to bring out the negative thoughts that they have about themselves, and oftentimes these thoughts are I'm worthless I'm unlovable I'm fat I'm ugly I'm a failure and I help them to see that no matter what they've done in life that that's not how Jesus communicates with us Jesus never calls people names He never um, makes people feel invaluable. Instead, the way we can tell if this is worldly sorrow versus um, godly sorrow is Jesus is more specific. And even though what he's telling us may make us feel sad, which is actually a form of conviction, it doesn't make us feel defeated. An example I use is if I have been on my phone too much in the day and my 
daughter walks by and she wants my attention and I tell her to go play that I'm busy because I'm looking at my phone it is very common in this moment for me to feel two feelings one is I'm a I'm a terrible mom and the other one is hey crystal you've been on your phone for a while and your daughter needs you why don't you go play with your daughter and I asked my clients, which one is godly sorrow and which one is worldly sorrow? And I've never had anybody get it wrong. It's very um, likely that the, it is absolutely likely that the one that's going to be godly is the one that's going to be encouraging me to be a better mother without shaming me or putting a certain level of defeat on me. Another way we can tell if we're having worldly sorrow thoughts or godly sorrow thoughts is to think about um, common sayings that the devil uses are, what if, you should have, you could have. So if there's something like, you don't do anything right, you can't do anything right, you're such a failure, um, nobody wants to talk to you, Okay, immediately we can know right away that those are negative thoughts. Those are defeating thoughts, so they come from Satan. And I tell my clients we have to identify the source to be able to begin healing from negative beliefs, to begin healing from anxious thoughts, to begin healing from depression, to begin healing from any kind of trauma. First, we have to begin to become aware of our thoughts and know how to properly store them and deal with them. Okay. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It is a powerful, powerful um, chapter and it directly deals with shame. If we look at godly sorrow, it says to us that it has produced in us an earnestness, an eagerness to clear yourselves, an indignation, an alarm, a longing, a concern, a readiness to see justice done. Okay? That is more of like an exuberance of, I'm going to overcome this. And I think about the times when I've gone on weight loss diets and I've gone in with an eagerness and a longing and a concern and a, I can do this. I do way better than when I go in with I'm so ugly, I'm so fat, I'm so unfit because then I go in feeling shame, okay? Another thing I want to leave with you is that shame breeds addiction. And so one thing I see often is maybe somebody who's struggling with a substance abuse addiction, a pornography addiction, any kind of addiction. And it's common for people, well-intentioned people who want to help is to say things like, you know you could do better than this. Um, why did you put yourself in this situation? Um, why do you keep making these poor decisions? Okay not good 
those kinds of questions are actually going to make people feel more shame, therefore push them more into the addiction spiral rather than to pull them out. Better questions are, how are you feeling right now? How does it make you feel that you relapsed? Because then they're going to say, well, I feel really bad. I feel pretty worthless. And then we can say, look, that's not how God wants us to feel. And we're like, what? He doesn't want us to feel worthless? I just sinned against him. Oh, God doesn't want us to feel worthless. God wants to empower us through his son, Jesus, that it's not our perfection or our good behavior in the first place that gets us into heaven. He just wants us to come to him and ask for help and to repent. Godly sorrow brings repentance. So we ask for forgiveness. We, we just, I remember there were times in my past when I would just lay before God and just say, I'm so sorry. I really tried to make things on my own and I made a mess of it and I need your help. And when we go to God with those situations, there's this powerful, amazing, supernatural thing that happens where Jesus comes into our heart. He begins lifting us up from the darkness. And when we hold on to him, we can overcome the most horrific trauma, the most damaging addiction and the most difficult relationships through Jesus we are victorious not through my power or through your power but only through Jesus and so today this is just a a little topic on shame there's so much more to discuss about this topic there are some pretty famous um, people that have already dealt with this topic of shame There's a guy, um, I think his name is Kurt Thompson, and he has a book called um, The Soul of Shame, I think. And then there's another book, um, well, Brene Brown, she's um, a secular social worker, um, a PhD, who's done tons and tons and tons of research and written many books on topics like vulnerability and shame. And they're very um, helpful in understanding it. So if you guys have any questions, please feel free to email me at victoriouslivingcounseling at yahoo.com. If you would like for me to add a topic to my list of podcasts, email me that topic. I will not use your name or identifying information. I will use just the question. I had a person email me this topic and this is what we're going to discuss um, today. So again, I wish you the best and this week I want you to focus on things like what you're thinking about and if it's a defeating thought or if this is a, a godly conviction that is intended to help you rise above the dark place that you're in in the moment. Okay? Um, God bless, and I wish you all the best. Bye.